Hi guys, welcome back to the Mel K Show. I'm so excited because I have looked at this man as like uh, the modern day Justice League member that's the at the head of at the head of the team running around the country trying to save America. And I I didn't even know that he's been trying to do this now for 20 years. Uh, I'm very very pleased and uh, honored to have on today Patrick Byrne. Thanks for joining me. Mel, what an honor to be on your show. Really Thank is. You. Thank you so much. I I have watched you and I. I look at you and the gang that I've been going around the country with. I'm so grateful. You and General Flynn and Lynn and, and um, um, everyone, um, Lindell, all these people, Jovan, um, everyone. I just feel like you're like the modern, it's like a comic book of, of American heroes for the modern day. I'm the butler just carrying around that little silver tray of <laughs> Right, right. No, you're more like Batman. But it's okay, whichever, whoever you want to play. But I'll tell you, it is such a bunch of amazing characters that will go down in history as saving America. And well, um, by the way, it's always nice to see you. We've met each other. We'll tell your viewers we've met each other a few times at these different yeah. things, Tulsa and Tampa and such. And we always have a few minutes to talk backstage. I've really enjoyed getting to know you a bit. Oh, awesome. Thank you so much. And it's such a pleasure. And you're always so friendly and nice. I didn't know you were so big. So no wonder nobody's been able to take you down yet. You're a very, you know, you're a man's man. I like them. They Boy. seem not to be very popular in America these days. Let the, me slip into something more comfortable, Mel. If we're... <laughs> no, but no, you know, the war on the white man in America, you are like the... You're like the shining star. Oh, I don't like to think in terms of white and black. This is about patriots and brothers and citizens, brothers and sisters defending what our forefathers gave us 240 years ago, not letting it get sleezed away from us. Yeah, it's been, but it's not It's not anymore because we're all in it together. And the bottom line is that uh, we got to save America. Black men. I'm defending Americans. I don't like that white, black term. I, I, I'm defending this country is how I view it. I... Uh, well, uh, yeah, I think we're in our last stages if we don't pull this off. Right. Well, all of that is created by the same people that want to destroy America from the inside out and the whole world. And uh, getting back to just a little bit, a lot of people know who you are, but um, you actually started a long time ago dealing with the swamp when you uh, realized back you did a presentation before the first crash of the um, which is the same culprits that we're still dealing with stealing our election back uh, before the 2008 um, crash on Wall Street. You came out with a miscreants, miscreants ball presentation that you showed to a whole bunch of people on Wall Street and the SEC and and all of the banks. And uh, you blew the whistle and uh, you tried to really save America back then once. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Sure. Sure. I'd love to. We'll uh, actually let me go back even a couple of years before that. We went public. I launched Overstock in 99. We went public in 2002. When you're a public company CEO, you tend to be out there in the mix, as they say, with New York bankers and journalists and Greenwich, Connecticut hedge funds and occasionally regulators and this and that. And after I got to know them for a while, this thing kept happening where people, one form or another of this conversation would happen. Some guy I'd met a couple of times, some hedge, sleazy hedge fund guys, somebody would take me out to dinner and over dinner, they'd put their fork down and say, hey kid, we can make a lot of money together if you're willing to play ball. And I was kind of shocked because that to me was like, if there's a little old lady getting mugged down an alley, you know, you're not gonna just walk on by. 
And if there are hedge funds out there doing the kinds of stuff that was being pitched to me, they're making money and there's no free lunch. That money comes from somewhere. That just comes from all the pension funds and participants, all little old ladies in the capital market. So I started going to the government and trying to explain to them what was going on and who was doing it. And in fact, which I thought was like what 97% of people were doing in my place. It was something like if you, if you followed the Bernie Madoff story, it turns out there was a fellow named Harry Markopoulos who for six years went into the SEC and explained, look, this guy's a fake and I can show you, I can show you exactly why it's all fraud. And six years in a row, the SEC slammed the door in his face. I knew 08 was coming. And I knew it from February 2005. I had it all. I had whistleblowers, data, economists, people inside the settlement. I had everything I needed. I had everything I needed to prove that about half or about a dozen hedge funds around uh, certain individuals in Greenwich, Connecticut, a guy named Stephen Cohen, were, uh, were no good nicks. And they were adva- taking advantage of these rules and such. And I went to all the people that you would think a guy would go to like the SEC and NASDAQ and FINRA and New York Stock Exchange and House Financial Services and Wall Street Press and Senate Bank. It was all corrupt. It was all captured. It was, I mean, I had Harvard economists, Goldman high-level guys, you know, Staten Island, uh, I had people from all through the systems who could explain what was going on. And these senators would listen and nod sagely and, the, and nothing would get done. And when I gradually discovered, it was actually a, a chief of staff of a senator pulled me aside and said, look, stop getting frustrated with yourself. We know you're right. But for every time you're in here, Goldman's in here 10 times, 20 times. And just look at where they're donating. You know. so, so I just learned that it was just all captured. It was all corrupt. And, and, at, and the other similarity was it was regarding, without going into the financial details, it was regarding a system at the center of society, the center of Wall Street, that it, it, it handles something called settlement, which is this, this is the problem. When you and I buy and sell stock, the thing that takes the money out of my account and gives it to yours and right. takes your stock, that's settlement. Well, it turns out it doesn't work. And we all just assume that it's rigorous and has integrity and because it's, it turns out that it's far more sloppy and loosey-goosey than anyone knew. And the bad guys had figured out how to take advantage of the slop to step into a bunch of illegal stuff. And when you when I brought the attention to the SEC, they basically so what I what it it told it's it's like today in that there was a system that everyone trusted that I figured out was crapola. Right. And, but when I tried to explain it to the world, the entire establishment who benefited from that flaw came down on me. Right. And so I thought I was dealing with a couple of crooks in Florida when I started exposing this stuff on Wall Street. It turned out to be you know, two thirds of the revenue of Goldman Sachs is what I was talking about, which is why the whole financial establishment came at me like a ton of bricks for years. And then 2008 happened and everybody sort of lost their, their, their you know, yeah well well, people they they stopped criticizing me everybody got i'd been correct the wall street journal the associate press they all wrote stories and say wow that crazy guy turned out to be right right you know bloomberg yeah and And you called out a lot of those uh those fake faux uh financial journalists that were you know that that manipulated minds like the journalists are now with the election and it's very similar and i i think it's probably the same people that you were talking about. I do a lot of shows about the Bank of International Settlements and Seeding oh, Company and all this stuff. Seeding Company, you talk about Seeding Company? Yeah, yeah. Oh my gosh, 
I once was talking about CD and company and a Wall Street speech. And when I was done, this fellow my size kind of fellow, older but tough looking guy, like 70, came up in a trench coat. And as he just came, there were a whole bunch of people around me talking. This big fellow came up in a trench coat and just kind of brushed by me. And he said, Patrick, on Wall Street, there are two things you don't talk about. You don't talk about religion and you don't talk about CD and company. That's so funny. Yeah, no, my first show I ever did, like two years ago with, uh, with, um, uh, Charlie Ward, I, I, I dug into it and I found what was going on with that, with the, that they owned all the type A stock, the same people and that they were trading some, all this well, stock that was worth nothing. And, and only this one group seating company owned anything. And I was like, what is this? Seating company. There's a corporation in America that owns all of Everything. corporate America <laughs> and all the rest of us have, when you think you own stock, what you really own are IOUs from a corporation you never heard of. Actually, they've given IOUs to bankers like Merrill Lynch, right. who've given IOUs to the next level of broker, who's given IOUs to your broker, who has IOUs to you. Right. And no one has any idea if the number of IOUs that have been issued match the amount of underlying shares that actually CD owns. So no one can believe this. I, I stand in front of audiences sometimes and say, hey, raise your hand if you own any publicly traded stock. Of course, two thirds of the audience says, and I say, all of us with our hands up, we're all wrong. None of you own right. anything. Right. Contractual rights from a corporation, from a daisy chain of corporations you never heard of. And everything is actually legally owned, not just guarded, not just put in a safe deposit box, but legally owned by a corporation no one's ever heard of. Right. And it actually goes back to all the railroads owned by all the bloodline. I mean, I know it, I did a whole show on it and I saw that you know about it too, and nobody else does. I've never heard anyone who talks about CD and company. It's crazy. People, it's one of these things that when you say people think you must be exaggerating this and that, but it's true. All of corporate America is owned. Right. The legal ownership is in a company in New Jersey that no one's ever heard of. Right. And, and I always it, tell everyone, of course, they're all marching the same line. They're all owned by the same small group of people. It's yeah. crazy. Now we can get to, because of that, how did you and why did you get involved in the theft of the election of Donald Trump? Well, same story. Right, same story. I'm going to come out someday. I'll give you a little teaser. It's not open yet. It's not public, but I'll tell you this. I was, I was instructed to get involved. Oh, is good. What, is why I got, I was, someone asked me, someone asked me a long time ago to take on a project and someday I would reveal who that was and, but I, uh, Donald Trump asked, I mean, so I got involved, actually got involved in August. I had nothing to do with Donald Trump. And as many people know, although I was never, I was not an anti-Trumper or never Trumper. I didn't vote for him. I'm not a supporter. Uh, I'm a lifelong libertarian. I've never voted Democrat or Republican. Right. When he got elected, I said, just fine. He's my president and didn't have any problems with that. Um, but uh, so... So I was in August asked to, well, I got involved in election integrity a few months before the election. And I had a little bit of trouble believing what I was coming across. And in particular, how bad, by October, I knew that it was possible to hack an election and that the systems were garbage and the system security. And it's not, not just about the computer systems, but the whole structure, it's all, it's, it's, it's terribly designed and needs to be rethought. And, uh, and that, but on November 4th, I pretty much saw what happened the moment I woke up. And, and what happened is, you know, I'm sure you've explained this to your viewers, Mel, that there are six, six counties in America 
You don't really, there's 3,006 counties in America. You don't need to steal in 3,000. You don't need widespread voter fraud. You need six places to steal like crazy. Right. And that flip, those six places flip the swing states they're in, which flips the electoral college, which flips the nation. So to steal the nation, you really just need to steal six places. And they are Las Vegas, Phoenix, Milwaukee, Detroit, Philly, Atlanta. Yeah. And Mel, on election night, something funny happened on November 3rd. Oh, I should also let you know that I knew by October 20th that if there was a steal, it was going to come, it would be come in the form of places being shut down, uh, vote counting being shut down. So I knew all this before. Oh, the wow. So you watched it in real time being like, and there goes the shutdown. And where did, where did they shut down? What six places? Those, same, those exact places. How odd. I know. What's also odd is that that's also where LeBron James and um, and uh, Obama set up their their armies of election volunteers. I don't know if you know about that. Those 30,000 election volunteers at these stadiums, you know, it all connects to the same thing. And very early on, they had this uh, written out this thing. I'm sure you know about it. The Transition Integrity Project. And remember, they started oh, yeah. very early on saying, well, when Trump doesn't leave office when he loses and everyone's like, what? What are they well, doing? what if he wins? And they're like, there is no outcome where he wins. It's either he loses or is holding a coup. Right. We have videos of government officials saying that to each other, that that's the only two outcomes. It's either he's running a coup or he lost. Oh, that's my it. God. Can you? There's no it's... other reality. And now all they do is they, they just they're they're gaslighting America and the world. Meanwhile, the rest of the world, especially the world leaders, are looking at our country like your election was stolen. You're not going to do anything about it. And half of our All corrupt, the whole system is corrupt. Just like I learned in D.C., top to bottom, suit the nuts. It's turtles all the way down. And when this gets proven, which I think it started to happen last week, and I think within seven days from today, it will all be out in Arizona. I'm comfortable saying uh, when that happens, I want all of America to remember all the institutions that vouched. Right. And said there was nothing there. Right. And it's, you know, from everything from who CISA and DHS and FBI and DOJ and mainstream press with their parroting the whole baseless thing, huh, you know, thousands. Yeah, of yeah. They're still doing it. They're still doing the it. The Election Commission, they're all were wrong. Right. And that information comes, come, you know, for. Uh, can I go on? I don't want to. I can no, go I'm, ahead. I'm, this is your show. Go ahead. It's your show. But I'll put it this way. For 20 years, there's been this real question in America about how much election fraud is there. And talk about gaslighting, the emphasis with which the mainstream has tried to say it's very rare, it's very rare, there's no election fraud, with shockingly little debate, really has always made me suspicious. And since about 2004, I knew that there, I really suspected there must be a lot more than people are admitting from both sides. And in 04, I happened to be working with act, an activist on the Republican side and one on the Democrat side in different states regarding two different subjects. And what I heard from them after the election was each, they, all they both had stories about how much election fraud was in their state. And they talked about one, and I won't even tell you which party was which, there were two, two different parties. And one was talking about how in a state, there's a city, and people open up the back of the voting machines at the end of the day, if a thousand people are registered in the precinct, they open up the back, if only 600 voted and they just take 
that one thing, they click it 400 times, they got 400 straight particles. <laughs> and if you try to observe it, the observers can't observe it because six foot eight goons come out right. and muscle them around. And if you try to even film that that's what's going on, you get arrested for voter intimidation because you brought a camera into the, you know. So that was one group story and it was somebody whom I trust. The other guy who I also trust, the other was a, a female, the, but the other story was, oh, what we do in uh, what we keep ink pads in our power. People keep ink pads in their pockets. And if you walk up and and you look to me like you're from the other party, I, I go to work in the precinct as a worker. As as you go, you're some citizen who comes in to vote. As you come up and walk up to me with your ballot and hand it to me, I see, I look at you and you you don't look like my party. I rub my finger on that ink pad in my pocket. And then I say, oh, thank you, ma'am. And there's a certain spot that I would grip and smudge. And by doing that, when you fed the ballot in, uh, it, it got rejected. So, so both parties were telling me this since 04. But the mainstream party line is, oh, there's no such thing. It's very, very rare. Very. And yet, <laughs> you know what's funny? If you go back about a decade, you could do some interesting research or somebody should. About a decade ago, there was this bromide that kept getting repeated. Just, oh, there's no election fraud. If you go to those stories and trace back to the source, the source of that claim that really dominated for 10 years that there was no election fraud came from one paper by a master's student. I think it was, she was at the University of Arizona and she did a very feeble little study where like for a term paper, she wrote the attorneys general of 50 states and said, how much election fraud do you have? Do you have? She heard back from about 20 of them and she took their letters, you know, kind of at face value and entered some numbers. Ah, oh, look, there's not much election fraud. Ah. Well, it turns out there's no systematic study. State by state, nobody's keeping records and you can't. So, and so, but that on that basis, the entirety of the mainstream press kept on taking it and it's telling the American public, oh, it's been proven there's no election fraud based on one flimsy graduate student's term paper, the whole country, you know, there must be 10,000 mentions of that claim. Right. And there's, it's just such, so bogus. So these things made me suspicious that there was significant election fraud. And again, it's like Wall Street in that we all thought 15 years ago that there was some underlying order, like people wouldn't cheat the settlement system. You wouldn't cheat the basics. We think that the election system must run the same way. We're Americans, you can have the honor system. Nobody would cheat. Nobody would do this kind of stuff. Uh, well, it just turns out, and then we have mainstream press telling us the same thing and quoting ad nauseum this silly paper. Uh, I, I began thinking of this a lot like the Wall Street fight, that maybe there's vastly more Meshigas, I like to do Yiddish, vastly more <laughs> in that system that, that anyone knows. And then everything happened on election night and I dug into it and within a month, well, I, I knew very quickly that what had happened. And yeah, there's a lot of, it's, it's, if we let this craziness stand, it's done. The goons have moved in, they've taken over the whole system. We will be Venezuela with a bunch of goons. Right. We'll never get a chance to vote our way out of it. Right. And I want to I want to also ask you, um, see, because I've been looking at a lot of this for a long time, and uh, it appears to me that the entire uh, Democratic Republican left right all of this is some kind of 
psyop on we the people, at least since JFK, to make us think that we have a choice. Because when I trace everything back, it appears that the Council of Foreign Relations is actually who's been choosing our government for a very long time. And I feel that- I, I can tell you, I'm on the Council on Foreign Relations. I know that shocks people. I'm not active and I have not been active in 15 years. I don't think I've even maybe walked in the door but two or three times in the last decade, but I'm on the council. I don't believe that. I think that the council people project a bunch of conspiracy theories. So what do you think? <laughs> Who do you think is, uh, is, is, cause I don't believe that we, the people have had a choice in a long time. I agree. And I think it's going to come out. This has been going on for about 15, 16 years. Right. And where does that, I, where's the head of that then? Not sure there is a head. There's an oligarchy and the oligarchy has two wings. And one wing is the financial elite Right. The other wing is the deep state. But I don't think you want to think in terms of there being one bad guy orchestrating everything. So Although there are bad guys orchestrating a lot. Right. Well, there's a lot going on because there's a lot going on behind the scenes. I'm sure you saw that uh, China, their official newspaper put out a few days ago that they uh, that, that China believes that um, George Soros is the most evil person on the planet and the son of Satan. I don't know if you saw that uh, that come out of Chinese media, but it came out. I of saw that Soros said stuff about them. Like he that. did, but they responded. <laughs> they responded. Uh, so well, that's where I get Soros, a lot of that stuff. Soros is 93 or something. He doesn't want to die until he takes down the U.S. But I don't think this problem is his son. He has a son. Right. I know. Named Alex. And Alex is a Berkeley Ph.D. in history and uh, an intellectual lightweight, uh, and but he absorbed all that Berkeley uh, right. social justice right. nonsense, fa bad philosophy, bad history. And he's, he, I got, my guess is, you know, he, I think he lives in Rye, New York or something, and he wants to go to the Met and have everybody applaud. So he's right. actually behind, I believe, a lot of the real bad stuff that's been, yeah. not George himself, who knows if George, actually I do hear George is, is able, but I, I mean, is still around. Who knows if right. he can remember what he had for breakfast? He's 93. Yeah. Well, they but, put out a tweet. Uh, this is, say again? Uh, Alex put out a tweet over the weekend uh, of 9-11 with him, Nancy Pelosi and his dad saying, in Pelosi we trust. So I was like, oh, really? And then uh, then I saw like they were all together, him and like uh, uh, Steve Jobs' um, widow and, and Mackenzie Bezos and all these people that have really been funding a lot of the uh, Black Lives Matter and racial justice and all this, which is really just dividing the American people to get our eyes off the ball of saving America as Americans. So I don't know what their whole goal is, but I do. Well, they're intellectual lightweights, and they care about they care about virtue signaling. They care. None of these people can hold an intelligent conversation. I don't know them personally, but I've been around this crowd. And it's unbelievable. It's unbelievable how little they know about anything. Because if you look at the funding, BLM, right. people think they want to talk about BLM, know nothing of slavery, nothing of history. They are the most poorly educated, you know, people from who, who def, like Antifa and such, right. they have so little understanding of history. They don't understand that fascism is a socialist phenomenon. Right. You know, have you ever heard me tell this story about this Italian socialist from 100 years ago in one of my speeches? Ever tell it? Maybe, but you can tell it here because my audience might not have heard it. Okay. There's a, there's a, was an Italian socialist in 1910, hardcore socialist, was the editor of the socialist newspaper, uh, magazine of Italy called Avanti. Hardcore socialist, a particular flavor called a, 
syndicalist. So after Marx, there's it sort of breaks into the Lenin, that kind of stuff. Right. And then a different type of socialism that was Sorel and Prudhorn. That was more about worker empowerment and such. Two different types. The syndicalist, the industrial syndicalism form of socialism he developed was considered very hardcore left. He, uh, World War I came along and this socialist decided to fight. And a lot of the socialists didn't, but some did. And he fought for Italy and after the war, he still had the same idea about how the government should run, should organize society uh, through its social, through industrial syndicalism. He added this new, you know, foot, uh, this new layer to it, which is only we who have been blighted in battle deserve to lead the nation in the future. So it was a, it was socialism, but a nationalistic sort of form of socialism. Any idea that who the name of this Italian socialist? His name was no, I think I think I know uh, Alighier. I, I can't think of his name, but his I'll name say it Benito, wrong uh, Benito Mussolini. Benito Mussolini was a socialist and the editor of the socialist paper. And fascism was an evolution and the black shirts and all that stuff. So everything Antifa is doing under right. the guise of socialism, they're just repeating Mussolini. Right. And they think that they're, you know, in an age of Orwell, they call themselves anti-fascist not knowing that they're the fascists. They're so poorly educated. They don't understand the, right. the history, about history. Right. And it's all these same billionaires that all, like you said, hang out in Greenwich and Rye, New York. You know, I live in New York City, so I, I, I see them and they're, they're all. And what's crazy, Patrick, because you have a lot of great degrees. You you went to Dartmouth. You went to uh, you are Marshall, Marshall Scholar from Cambridge. You went to Stanford for like ethics and jurisprudence. You're way, way. I, I knew nothing of that about you. I knew you were like a big tech entrepreneur. That's like that's like a footnote on your education. But um, looking at all of this, it's amazing because during the whole COVID and everything, being in New York City, it's been amazing to me that all my friends that do work at Goldman Sachs or have PhDs or teach at Columbia seem to have been the easily, the most easily brainwashed. Aren't, isn't it funny how- we What is going on? Mentally they are, it's crazy. I can't have intelligence, it's, conversations with them anymore with people who they are so fact averse oh research averse they're just they're just called npcs you ever heard the expression npc it's a great one no well, tell your, me it. your it's viewers amazing need, to me this 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 meme was mathematically proven to be the most successful meme in history it was introduced in october of about I don't know, about three years ago. Oh, you mean the gray face guy that has like, just like no expression, that guy? Yes, it's called an NPC. It was so successful. It started blowing up, you know, Reddit and such. It got banned in about two weeks. Yeah. It was so, but it's so perfectly names what we're up against. Yeah. And what, what, it refer, what it refers to is in gaming, if you play Grand Theft Auto, there's, you know, you're running around, you're doing... And you know you're running over cops and shooting. Yeah. Like, it's a terrible game. Picking up hookers. Yeah, I know. <laughs> and buying for cocaine. Kids. I think there's actually parts of the game where people go and like buy heroin and stuff. Right, I know for kids. I, I've never. And uh, but if you get out of the car, like you walk on the street, you bump into some bum, and he says, "Hey, buddy, can you got a spare cigarette?" And if you walk around the block and bump into him again, he's going to say, hey, buddy, can you spare a cigarette? Or maybe right. he's got another line like, hey, buddy, watch out. And he's got like four or five lines. And 
that's all he's got. Well, he's a non, it's called a non-player character. It's just oh, like, okay. Now I know. There's not a human on the other side. It's just right. a little program. So the theory of NPC is that there's really a finite number of, a very small number of human souls in the world. And, but there's many more humans. So a lot of people have no, are walking around like they're humans, but they're really just right. no internal program. And, and, and so they, they are trained to have like that four or five words, four or five phrases. So if you say, if the subject of, you know, anything, it's so crazy. Uh, anything comes up, they've got, uh, okay, immigration across the Southern border comes up. The, well, well, who's gonna do the work? Who's gonna do the work? Americans don't wanna do the work. Okay, the problem with illegal immigration comes up, millions of people, cartels coming in, you wanna talk about that? And they say, uh, but who's gonna do the work? Who wants the, nobody wants those jobs in America. They, right. There's like nothing, they can't, it's, they're just that guy who says, Hey, but watch it, buddy. You got a cigarette? There's nothing actually going on. And Amazing. if you pay attention, there's a bunch of people in our society who that's what they have. They've been, they got about five lines programmed in. And one way or another, the Rachel Maddens of the world, all they're doing is they're just regurgitating. Actually, they're, she's not an NPC, but she's teaching NPCs who watch her every right. night. Subtext is to train them on the new line, the new yeah, line. That's what I wonder about the journalists. Do they, are they brainwashed too, or are they evil? Well, there's some internal dynamics and external. I would say that, you know, I used to teach at the university level. I know. And I used to think of the journalism students and I, as the weakest students of all, with the exception of the football players. And I say that as a former college football player. Uh, I guess I would have to add to that. There weren't really what I, what you would call social justice warriors in my undergraduate years. But my graduate, there were, and you, and I would say the two weakest, absolute weakest form of students were the journalism majors, or anyone who says they want to go into journalism, and anybody in the whole social justice field. There's no intellectual capacity whatsoever, right. and so that's what that's what. But so journalists, there. But there are some smart ones. There were some real smart ones that you could sit and have a college level discussion with, and you can explain things, and they can follow. There's yeah. there's plenty of very. Well, of, being Matt a journalism Jackson. graduate from NYU, I will tell you, no one that got a degree that should be a journalist ended up being a journalist because well, they didn't want to work within the framework. I try. I mean, I worked at CNN. I worked at uh, Good Morning America, but it was like every time I pitched a story, it was. It, I remember once at Good Morning America, I pitched a story that was not. They were like, "No, that, that's too, that's too highbrow for our audience," and I was like, "What?" Yeah, and I remember talk. always being like, I don't want to be a part of this. It really, I mean, it's very clear that journalism is not about telling the truth. It's about telling a narrative. Well, you would think that journalists would, if you're a business journalist, you would think that you would feel some obligation or a science journalism, yeah. you would feel some obligation to learn the field. They don't feel any obligation. That's another thing that's happening at universities. Universities are teaching people to react, to have emotions that they endorse rather than think critically or analyze. Right. And so, uh, yeah, I, I, when I find a smart journalist, I hang on to him or her. Yeah. Uh, you know, there's a, I, I always say a good, a good source never reveals his journalists, but there were, there were for about a decade, there were a handful of journalists that I gave all that were smart and I gave all kinds of stories to because yeah. I could work with them, but almost there's very few journalists that are even who are smart enough to find Yeah, but there are some, yeah, there's few, but a lot of them couldn't work in the business. And then I went to Hollywood for 15 years and I saw even the worst side after I went to film to study film. But Were you um, on the talent? Did you get in front of the camera? I did everything. 
I did everything, but mostly screenwriting, but everything. You're but right. I, I, you know, but then I, I saw a lot of stuff happen out there. Oh, I can jump there now. So when you were doing all of your stuff, uh, dismantling, we'll go back to the election, but I wanted to ask you this. When you were dismantling everything, uh, basically for the uh, SEC and the entire financial industry, I saw you dealt a little bit with Bear Stearns and all of that stuff. Did you deal with Epstein? Funny you asked me that. No one's ever asked me that. But I will tell you something I've never told. I'm sure this will make be spun make headlines. Uh, about a month before he arrest he was arrested, someone came. To, Epstein was arrested. Someone I knew all about Epstein. And let me right. point out some friends. If you read, do you know Zero Hedge? Yeah, of course. I read yeah, it every day for years. If you read Zero Hedge, there was nothing about this Epstein stuff in the last few years that surprised you. It was all on Zero Hedge in 07. So that's why there's been something a little bit odd about it, because as awful, awful as everything about him, the news that came out in the last few years and the public awareness, as awful that as that has been, a piece of me says, what exactly is everyone getting so upset about now? This was all known in 07. So 07, 97, I was in Manhattan and I knew all these young models that were probably underage. I didn't know now. I know now that lived in the building that he owned. And there was like four models to an apartment. And yet most of them didn't speak English. And you'd think, wow, the modeling agency must really believe in them, that they brought them here from a foreign country, put them up in Manhattan. They get to go out every night and party. I didn't realize that they were probably trafficked. But right. now years later, I realize Epstein owns that building or owned or ran that building. He's been around forever. And also Palm Beach, the same thing. He's been, but he was allowed to do it. That's Let me tell you, I... Uh... He was allowed to do it. Let me tell you, he, he, he sent someone to see me about two months before he got arrested uh, a couple of years ago. He sent someone to see me. And that person came with an invitation to me saying, oh, boy, you got to go meet this guy, uh, Epstein. He really, he's followed you, Patrick. He knows all about wow. you. He wants to meet you. He wants you to come to his island and don't believe the stories they tell. And listen, Epstein is a really good guy and he really wants to meet you. And I kind of, I figured it was a setup, obviously. Good. And no, I gave it some thought, but for a different reason than he expected. If I were, there was a lot going on in my life. I gave it some thought purely to think if I could lure the guy into the surf and drown him or something, uh, or slit his throat. But I thought there was so much going on in my life, it probably wasn't the perfect time to do that. But I gave a, I gave a, uh, I gave a no, but a no that was, I gave a no, but yeah. that wasn't different. Oh, a few weeks later, the same guy showed up in my flew to Utah to tell me, oh, no, Epstein really, uh, what the hell was his first name? Jeffrey. Uh, he, Jeffrey really wants to meet you. He's been studying everything about you for years. He talks he about you. Set you up. And boy, he really, no, and he, the guy flew all the way to Utah the second time to come and get, he spent, he had some putatively some other reason for the invitation, but he uh, or reason to visit me, but in the two or three days he was with me, he must have brought up four or five more times trying to get me to go. I knew that I was getting set up. Right. Like, what, like in a different time in my life, I would have gone just to have some. And you would have regretted it. Trust me. <laughs> no, I wouldn't. I would have gone just to murder him if I. All oh, right, right. Uh, well, I, but thank God you didn't, because now you get to save our country from being stolen by communist, uh, Marxist, socialists. <laughs> uh, yeah, I. But he. Uh, but then he got arrested, and I'll tell you something else. I got some word. About a year ago, well, after he died, I somebody did get in touch with me to know some of the circumstances about his death that strongly, somebody from within the government that strongly suggested 
it was it was not suicide and they wanted me to know that so i took proper precautions oh wow yeah well oddly enough i just found well you know Ghislaine maxwell the disclosure is coming up for her i think by the 18th they have to release all of the documents about the co-conspirators and we know andrew was just charged so uh what prince andrew yep he was just I know served. I the news the last few days. He was just charged, really. He was served by the Southern District of New York in the in the uh, Virginia Roberts case. Wow. Yeah. So uh, that the House of Cards is falling. Maxwell's father, oddly enough, you know, was a giant spy, just like Epstein and blackmailer. Who was he a spy for? Everyone. It seems he was spied not just for the Mossad, but everyone else too, just like Epstein. So Piers Epstein spied for whoever paid him the most money. From what I've been researching him for since the first arrest Epstein, because my, my parents live in Palm Beach and I knew that some of those young girls that they, he, they went and got them from like trailer park areas in Florida, brought them to the island. And that was that. And then discarded them. Is that what Elaine did? Yeah. Is that what? So she was the one going around to the yeah. parks and giving kids candy bars. Or oh, something? yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And then, you know, what, what, that, what also happened was then they'd get underage ones and then pull in big bankers and judges and all that. And film I know them. that's what they're doing. There's probably 10 right. cameras in every room. And uh, oh, in yeah, the everywhere, everywhere. Uh, who, who, yeah. yeah. Well, because when I worked, I worked in those that. tapes ever got public. It's a shame of those tapes ever got out from. The yeah, wouldn't it? I, I, I know where some of them are. Uh, I will tell you something, though. When I worked in L.A., I worked for somebody who would go on these these trips and, and I would I handled the flights. And I realized that where she was going and after after this all came out and I was like, oh, my God, thank God I never got invited because they were going to Epstein Island. So uh, a lot of people in Hollywood or was she being trafficked or something? She was participating, I guess. I mean, I don't know. You can't go to that island if you know what happened there and not be aware. You you had to have known what was going on there. So who knows? No, she was a celebrity. The little 13-year-old girl is your stewardess or something. Right, right. Exactly. Exactly. That's why I say if you went to Epstein Island and you saw what was going on there, you're complicit whether you participated or not. Not you know, always. Something, and times. people are down on John Roberts, the chair, chief justice. And uh, I've actually been and like defended the guy against some of the attacks from the far. Well, let's just say the attacks that I've heard in the last year. Right. One of the nature of those attacks has to do, and since it's all public and got public without my help, I will mention it. It had to do with the, his adoption. Are you right? Familiar? Yeah, from Wales. I think Wales. Yeah, or I thought it was Ireland. But the point, the like story it. is, and I was. I, my source on this is a very well-informed, well-documented source from within the White House at the time, who I didn't verify the documents uh, themselves, but what it looked like is the fellow had, in order to avoid, you can't just go over to Ireland and adopt kids. You had to live there for six months. And he had somehow gotten through that by sending them, I think they're El Salvador. And, and to that, I say, if that's the worst thing the guy ever did in his life, he cheated some rules to get two kids and turn them into adults. There's enough karma involved in that. Right, right, right. I don't, I, you know, it's not ideal to have your chief justice out there finagling international law, but I don't, right. I don't fault him for that. And so I have mentioned him in the past, but really my point in mentioning him was to sort of give him that modest defense. If that's all they have on him. Right. That's that. However, it is problematic. And I wasn't the guy who released this, although I had it, but it's now public. 
that his name is in. I mean, it's been public for six months or so. Right. His flight name log. is in flight log. Yeah. I think that now it might not be the same John Roberts, but it's been out there long enough and enough questions raised. I do not think it would be inappropriate for Chief Justice Roberts to come out and say, I, uh, that's not this John Roberts, that's some guy right. I've heard of, you know, or say, well, that was me. And I know that, and I took that one flight and met the fellow and didn't like the cut of his jib and never saw him again or right. whatever it was. But it's, it's enough of a question. I think right. that it's not inappropriate to suggest that Chief Justice Roberts should probably come out and make uh, some statement. Just let it, let the public know, is that, is that, was that him? Was he on that flight? It's kind of odd, it feels to me, after all these months, that if it's not him, he wouldn't at right. least make that. Well, he should, because uh, they turned down looking at the election fraud stuff, and it's going to come back around to them, and we should know that they're on the up and up and not working against the, we the people because they're compromised. Mm. It, it doesn't look good for that reason alone. It doesn't and, have to be super invasive. Nobody has to go, you know, he should, in decency, he should come out and let the public know. Right, what, you would think if he had nothing that, to hide. Right. Right. Well, you would you would hope that that would happen with a lot of people, but we're we're seeing a lot of people being taken down that you've dealt with. We have Leon Black somehow gave Epstein one hundred and fifty million dollars. Les yeah. Wexner gave him a seventy eight million dollar place in New York City. A lot of people gave Epstein a lot of money and he doesn't seem to have had a job other than a no degree other than a little time taking down Bear Stearns. That's why I wanted to know, because you were so involved in the finance world, if you had come in, in contact with him, because it's pretty bizarre that he got so high up in that world. I came in contact only in the sense of people. He wanted you. Want, well, that was that was just a couple of years ago. Back in 07, I was hearing about it just as it broke. I guess just as the first stuff got out, I heard about him being arrested in Florida and such. So I was so again, I knew about this 14 years ago. It's a little bit right. And we were horrified. Everyone who knew back then was horrified. And then he, he goes, gets this fake prison term, then he resumes what he's doing. And then 10 years later, it all breaks again. And all the establishment is saying, oh, my gosh, can you believe it? How horrible. Well, it was it was all and we all knew it. Right. Years, I remember he was charged with, um, I think, soliciting an underage girl. It's called pedophilia. Like, well, I mean, the way that they or that the girl, they made it like the underage girl was a prostitute. They like, totally it, did. It, it made it make their language bogus. He had a place in Miami. Yeah. That he had a side entrance into a little massage shop and a massage room. And evidently his thing was to go out and find. And he had a thing for, I think, Hispanic and black underage girls, teenagers. Right. And he would get them and then they could come to recruit others and stuff. And he did this. He preyed on these teenagers around Palm Beach. Right. And they would take them because uh, my parents lived there. They would go and get them, Ghislaine, and then whoever she hired would go and get them in like the bad areas outside of West Palm, bring them over to the island at several a day. I mean, it got crazy and everyone knew it. And then, um, you know, actually, Donald Trump is one of the only people that like spoke up to the um, Palm Beach police about it. But it went I on for that. years. And the guy went to Mar-a-Lago or somewhere and, and Trump uh, kicked him out though. Yeah. Trump kicked him out that he, he was inappropriate with a young woman and Trump yeah. kicked him out. Yeah. So, That's the girl is suing uh, Prince Andrew is that girl. She was working at Mar-a-Lago, I think at 16. But then fast forward to, which is kind of Trump's whole presidency was bizarre because 
um, that kind of came back into the realm because of Trump, because remember, he put the guy who gave him that sweetheart deal was the secretary of labor. And then and then it brought Epstein to like the floor because now we know Epstein was not only involved with Bill Gates and the Wuhan lab and, and the Dr. Lieber from Harvard and, and financing a lot of the stuff that we're dealing with now with the covid. But, you know, it's like this Epstein connects to a lot of parts. I always call it on my show, the Epstein boomerang. It's got to be coming in somewhere. But now we'll fast forward to. Um, so here we are. We know that the election was stolen. We know that our country is and not just our election. Again, we as you say, every election in the basically in the whole G20 has yep. been manipulated for the last 20 years, at least. So now we're at a place where went we're, broke. it was this 2020 was a go for broke moment for them. For everyone, right? All the countries, all the G20. It just seems yeah. like they're all about to fall apart. You know, it's the US, Australia, and Brazil. You gotta, it's funny, the Chinese play Go, not chess. And if you think with a Go, Go, uh, you know, it's a different game. And this makes a lot of sense in the paradigm of Go. Uh, this makes a lot of sense what they've done. Go is, has a very different approach to it. And uh, the, you would you would want to pick, of course, that your enemy's main sort of center of gravity. But the other two things they need to knock out in this term are Brazil and Australia. And both of them, uh, you got Bolsonaro in Australia, in uh, Brazil pushing back. But Australia has gone full fascist. Wow. Set, did you see they are now allowing ivermectin treatment in Australia, but only if you've had the vaccine? Uh, which is besides the point. Which means you agree that it works. Now, so they're trying to cook their books so they can start saying, see, vaccine, vaccinated people aren't dying, but unvaccinated people are. That's yeah. what they're trying to set well, up. But you saw, like I saw, China has been infiltrating Australia for years, yep. just like Africa and everywhere else. And now we're at a place where um, you know, okay, back back to us. Okay, so you, I saw you this uh, the other day. You're trying to find a solution for where we are, fighting and fighting, and the committees and the hearings. I find I honestly feel like DC is is a toxic toxic swamp. We are a constitutional republic. Every state is supposed to be a sovereign state held together by this swamp that is DC that I feel like is completely toxic. It's like the glue holding together the union is is needs to be replaced. Mm -hmm. So I look at this and I say, how? OK, so we're going to prove election fraud. I, I'm sure of that. I, I've seen enough proof to already know that it's real. Where are we now? Because I think we, the people as Americans, have to get over the division and love America enough to commit to saving it and building it forward in a way that we all can be proud of. So where do you see us going from here and how can we do it peacefully? Thank you for asking me. Thank you for asking me. There is a, yes, I spoke about something called an oristia, which is from Greek, from Aeschylus, a play, Orestes. That's about, you can get into cycles of violence or cycles of wrongdoing, one side against the other, kids, you know, squabble and you try to set, you know, who, how did it start? Well, he stole my candy bar. Well, she used my comb and I said no. And, and at some point, well, there was this wonderful, I won't tell the whole story from the Greek, but it was about a, a family, the house of Atreus that had going back to Zeus that had a lot of bad luck involving incest and rape and uh, 
deceit and people stealing each other's wives and yeah. feeding. In one case, one guy feeds the has an enemy over for dinner and bring have butchers the guy's kids and feeds them to him. This this crazy cycle and an event and it eventually reaches a point where a wife has killed a husband, so the son has to kill the wife, i.e. the mother, because to avenge his father's death. And he does that. And then the, the Furies who are sent by the guys, these sort of vampirish sisters who come to exactive. And Apollo steps in and defends Orestes and basically makes this argument there. First, we have to move past that. Uh, we have to have legal neutral process. The play demonstrates Athena has a jury of 12 citizens of Athens and they and the Furies come and present their case and Apollo presents the case of reason and mercy and compassion and we need to and it's really the beginning it actually was uh, Aeschylus wrote it a few years after Athens introduced independent courts in about 460 BC. It's so amazing so, that they so were doing a, it then. It's, it's, it's the beginning of our tradition. You want a right. neutral rule of law, you want institutions with a fair process. It's all illustrated in this play. And you need some moment where you always gotta be, I always get choked up when I think of it, but you know, when, when Lincoln meant Grant for the last time, Right. It was, I think it was on the Potomac River and it was the end of the war, but the war had not quite ended, but it was clear there was mopping up going on, but it was clear that, that we had won, the North had won, the Republican. Right. And his last instruction to Grant was let them up easy. Lincoln was a wrestler and that was, that was his last instruction. And I'm always the guy, this fight's getting really nasty and I've seen civil wars and I've seen the results of civil wars and I've always... 30 years I've worried about it happening here. And this is gonna get really bad unless we have some adults on each side who reach across and right. let's seize the moment. And that moment is here because the intellectual argument's over. I'm not interested in talking to these mainstream dopes who were a week ago, a, a, a canvassing report was delivered, very credible in Arizona, very credible 2,500 person volunteers. They did this very careful, so there was no voter intimidation, this very careful canvassing. And it turns out that in Maricopa, it's worse than anyone could possibly believe. Phoenix, Arizona, 15 to 20% of the votes are fake or suppressed. They're either fake to Biden or suppressed to Trump, 15 to 20%. And the that's just the canvassing. The other two parts of the investigation, which is looking at the machines and looking at the ballots, both looking in the sense of, you know, if you see a hanging chad and looking at the paper and doing the computer forensics, all that gets delivered, I believe, next week. And I, it's going to show, well, what the last week's results show, there were 300,000 to 400,000 fake and suppressed votes out of 2.1 million. That's 20, 15 to 20%, which is 15 to 20% in a race that the presidential race was decided by 0 0.2, right. 10,000 votes. There's 300 to 400,000 fake ones. There's another 12 down ballot races in Maricopa that were affected by all this. That entire election needs to be thrown out. Right. And so it's it's over. It's and over. Georgia, Between Georgia, there's a similar amount of uh, fraud that's already been uh, found. And then you have all the people dropping in the drop boxes and yeah, you know yeah. we're going to have to find a solution. We can't we can't go to it. I hate the people that are twenty twenty four or twenty twenty two. In my head, if we don't fix it now, it's never going to end. Then then we're going to end up being a, a completely controlled by the swamp, 
that already is undermining our country so badly that we will have no country left. Yeah, we will have no country left. There's a way to save it, but we got a little bit of time, a little bit of time. We actually have 13 months at the outside. I think we have about a 70% chance of making it 13 months to the next election. And if what we do, so this is the base case. I'm gonna go with base case and then better cases, okay? Great. Yeah. The base case we have to lock in. We gotta be focused on and lock in. We cannot miss the base case. The base case is we get fanatic on election integrity. We keep doing these election audits. There's another 20 states that are gonna come forward after Maricopa announces and they're gonna do right. audits, maybe 50 states. We all that, we get the laws tightened up and so we have a good clean election next time. And then we will have the country that we voted for. And it's gonna turn out that we have significantly fewer Democrats in office right. than we now voted for because there's, so, but this is not just a Democrat problem. I think it's about 70, 30 Democrat, Republican. There are absolute Republican politicians taking part in this, benefiting from it and who do not want the system fixed. In Maricopa, two of those 12 races I mentioned, are people who are on the Maricopa Board of Supervisors. And they are, and they're Republicans, and one of them won by 400 votes out of hundreds of thousands cast in his, right. and he won by 400, and it turns out 400,000 votes were, were made. So right. he, the, the both of them who won by just a hair have been out there like crazy fighting, fighting, fighting the audit. Well, that's because these Republicans are benefiting. I think the same is true of, of uh, a couple governors. Anyway. Right. The down ballots. That's what I keep saying to people. Everyone yeah. should be asking for an audit and every county's entitled because, okay, so they stole think, Donald Trump, but what well, about the there's sheriff? 30, there's ahead. 30 House seats. Right. We think mathematically we can find there are 30 House right. seats that were stolen from Republicans. Absolutely. There's about four or five Senate seats. And then there's all kinds of local positions, right. school boards and boards of elections. They're working in these crooks and they're right. cheating the system and you don't want it to ratchet. Once you, they've cheated and gotten in, then they can fight and fight and ever keep there from anyone from exposing the corruption. Right. So it's a real fix. So we got 13 months, that's the base case. Great. But we get everything fixed. We get Republicans volunteering and working, not just observing, but right. working in voting places that are forgetting that are not letting the goons get involved and Republicans who are gonna stand their ground right. and not, not in a gun battle sense, but in a, a God bless the 80 year old ladies who wanna go mm -hmm. down and volunteer on election day and such. But when that six foot eight goon comes up or a team of them come up and try to intimidate her, she gets intimidated. If what we had were some good, you know, hell's angel bike, bikers right. who wanna go and work in these, that's, and you know, not to deal with the public, but just people aren't gonna get intimidated and be behind the right. scenes. This is, that's what has to happen. And then we could work our way through this peacefully and get right. out of it. So if we can just keep the peace for 13 months, we can do all that. So that's the base case. Right. I can I can go to better, more no, optimistic go ahead. cases. More optimistic cases is the Maricopa thing. It gets reported next week. It's gonna trigger audits in somewhere between 13 and 20 and 50, 49 other states. There's, I can tell you there's at least 13 that are on a hair trigger ready to launch based on what gets reported next week. And then there's many more counties and such. Uh, so that's going to just be an uproar. Maybe, well, here's a long shot way it could work out. That in Arizona, they withdraw their electoral votes once right. they understand how bogus their election was. Just It's fake. It's a fake election. 
there's five other states that need to do that are that are in the same position and if they look they're going to find the same thing right. once they once two of them plus arizona have all found the same thing all they've got to do is vote to cert, uh, decertify their electors then once if three states out of those six do that biden drops between below 270 below 260 so then you would have grounds for Trump or another attorney general, perhaps, to file a case with the Supreme Court and it says, I was robbed, and maybe the Supreme Court comes back and does something. And maybe that can all happen in the next 13 months. And in the last month, I've started proposing alternative plans, and, the, and some of the hardcore followers are saying, Burn, we thought you were the hardest core case of all. You're the purest. You're talking about compromise. We're not going to compromise. Well, let me tell you, I think if, you know, I'm happy to keep fighting this out. Arizona took 10 months and $9 million. It'll take $50 million and, you know, I don't know how many months to get the next, to do the next five states. Uh, but so that plan of getting Trump back in through, see, by that kind of process seems unlikely to happen in 10 months to me. Another thing that could happen, though, is if people pull their electoral votes, that could trigger an opportunity for Trump to file a case and get to the Supreme Court. It's another thing that could happen is in Arizona, you have every right, people have every right to file a 14th Amendment case, equal protection of the law. Interestingly, 173,000 votes got suppressed. Oh, wow. And, and I'll, I'll, let me walk you through it really quick. It's right. shocking. No, that's a great, great way to do it. Yeah, go ahead. There's 2.6 million registered voters in Maricopa, Phoenix, okay. Arizona. Of them on election day, 2.1 million voted per the records, 2.1 right. million voted. You go to the other 500,000 people and you ask them, did you vote or not? Of the other 500,000 people, 34%, which is to say over 170,000 of them say, what are you talking about? Yes, I did vote. I absolutely voted. My wife saw me vote. We drove down and voted together. We filled the forms out, we mailed it and they give affidavits and everything on this. So 173,000 votes were disappeared. Robbed. Their vote they were robbed. Yeah. yeah, they were robbed. It's I got this book, The Deep Rig. Right, I know. I was going to talk about it. There's, uh, there's pictures in the back of this horrible event in American history when Black people who tried to vote got met by sheriffs with German shepherds saying you can't vote. That just, that's, how you, that's what voter suppression looked like right. in 1963. What voter suppression looks like now is you know these lines with stair steps in them where suddenly 100,000 Democratic votes show up out of nowhere. Right. That's what we're, so that's what it looks like now. So what someone could do, oh, and of those 173,000, my analysis, and this is not yet confirmed in data and like that, but mathematically you get to see the, the bulk of those people, not the bulk, a lot of people whose votes are getting suppressed are Hispanic or Indian right. or, or Native American. Uh, that's the part of Maricopa where you're going to find where I believe the mo the majority of that's or the dis it disproportionately skews that way. There's some, so you've got black Indian and the and the and the Hispanic people having their votes suppressed as part of this whole scheme. Wow, so worse than the Jim Crow South. Right, worse, 173,000 cases in Maricopa. I'm sure in the Jim Crow South, I don't know if there was any one city with that. So this is worse than, so it really does provide the really shortest course to resolution would be if the results in Maricopa let someone file that kind of equal protection 
and it gets to into the federal court system and then they do something. They decide to earn part. Can I swear on your show? Of course, of course. Yes, I've been kicked off anywhere you can. The, the judiciary decides to earn a fucking paycheck for once. It's right. like we've forgotten there's a it's third ridiculous. branch of government. This is hilarious. They decide to earn their paycheck and they step in and they do what was done in the early 1960s. You know, in the early 1960s, the federal courts said, yes, states, the Constitution says that you get to run your own elections, right. but you're cheating blacks. You can't run, have poll taxes and you can't, you can't do what they used to have. They call them literacy tests. And a black man would show up and they say, okay, recite the Declaration of Independence. Oh, you can't, you're not illiterate. You so the Supreme Court said that kind of, yes, you can run your own elections, but within these guardrails and we're gonna set the guardrails. Well, with everything that has come out after 20 years of this debate in America, the answer is known. They've been saying that there's very little election fraud, de minimis. I thought I had the inside track because I've known for 15 years, it was like, I thought it was one or 2%. I thought, well, it went both ways probably, probably favors the Dems a bit, goes both ways. Well, no, it's turned out proven, proven, and will be confirmed next week through other mechanisms that 15 to 20% is fake. Unbelievable. Then it's not our country. Then it's yeah, not, not the country country. that we intend. If the Supreme America. Court lets that slide, then, then we got what we deserve. There will be, a, that's the end of the United States. If the Supreme Court lets that, but this is actually a moment in history, having, having blown two really big calls in the past, Dred right. Scott probably being the worst, this is their moment to have a save the Republic decision. And so this, if this Maricopa stuff lets us get an equal protection claim in front of the Supreme Court quickly, and I understand there are ways to, to sort of short circuit and make that happen. We could, it, uh, we might have a really quick way through this. However, like six months, all that said, all that said, the base case is the plan I laid out, which yeah. is we're gonna fight in 13, we're gonna get the system fixed and rigorous. We got 13 months, right. we're gonna one fair election. We're gonna have a whole new house and a third new Senate. And right. then we can start fixing ourselves and we're going to do it in a spirit of love and brotherhood because we do not want a civil war. We want to be forgiving and move through, maybe have something called a peace, what is it, a truth and reconciliation process. Right, right. And through, and that's what we should do now. And we could get through, save America and have no violence. That's right. kind of my hope. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's actually, it's much bigger than that. It's kind of the world. Cause I look at it as we're all kind of fighting the same enemy all over the world. I see that, I see the, the cabal that's kind of, when it comes to the financial side that really has all of our countries under this debt slavery, this this vision of the one world thing. I don't, I, I don't love know. It. It. I, Mel, you're reading my emails. Absolutely. I think that they looted the country for so long. How do I? And now there's so little left and they're, they're, get, they're paying the bill. Right. They're paying the bill by serving us up on a silver platter. Right. Well, it's that, um, you'll know what I'm talking about, that Cloward Piven thing, where now they want everyone on universal income and then the poverty people. It's like they, they gutted the middle class with this with this uh, COVID, and now, they, now they're broke. I feel like our, they're, they're broke, and they're pulling everything off, and it's not just them. It's all over the world that we're dealing with, and it's that same Bank of International Settlements I see as, like, manipulating Bank of International Settlements is a black hole. It's a trillion, multi-trillion dollar black hole in there. There's so much- What is going on there? <laughs> What's gonna happen 
it doesn't matter how much cheap money you pour into that hole. It's going to suck it all up and we're done. It's just now, a waste we, for all of our countries. First of all, there should be no war. We know the whole Middle East was a farce. But now we're at a place where it's like, okay, the entire situation is ridiculous. Just America alone. Every country should be their country first. There's plenty of money. Every country should be thriving. The globalist agenda should be the opposite of what they say it is. It should be every country putting their country first, thriving as a country and being interacting together as like normal, sane people instead of this never ending war crap. You know, this is a yeah. Well, this is, uh, you know, I think that what happened, we are at that moment in human history. What's going to happen is either. So the U.S. does have a great reset coming, a financial collapse. Oh, yeah. We come out of that either stripped of our flaws that got us there and reemerges the right. United States of America and we will rock. Right. I know exactly what they should do to strip it and we could rock. Well, I or, vote for you. <laughs> no, I listen, I will God no, myself, I run when it's been scientifically proven that hell is frozen over. You have no idea. I'm never going to run for now. But, Maybe you can get your buddy General Flynn to run. Well, that's my first choice. My first choice. Is my he's he's my that's my first choice. The other, so, but what the goons want to do is have us go come out of the rubble as a USSA. Slave state. Yeah, as a slave state. I want to go through that process and reemerge, just like when people take a company through bankruptcy. You right. go through, you strip out this and that, you get everything lined up, and you go forward and you have a healthy enterprise to start off with again. We can do this. And I'll tell you, you know, my friend, you know, I'm friendly. I normally don't use this as well. I'm fr my rabbi in life is the great, is Buffett. No, I know that. I've heard you say that. And he uh, and I was lucky to meet him when I was a little kid. And he's been this great advisor. All my you were life. a little kid. And he, no, I was. I was 13. He was just this farmer. I didn't even, the guy, it was his name and never been in the newspaper. We were these great friends. And oh, he's been, that's great. He was a great teacher to me all my life. But he, uh, he said about 20 years ago, we had this conversation. I remember saying to him, you know, Mr. Buffett, this is one of those, the, the U.S. federal government is like an insurance company that's not being run on actuarially sound principles. And at some point it's all gonna melt down and then the rich are gonna have to, you know, come bail it all out, I suppose. And Buffett says, well, who's gonna bail it out, Patrick? The poor, if the poor could bail it out, they wouldn't be the poor, they'd be the rich. <laughs> Which was, you know, he's right. It, it's gonna have to be bailed out. And right. it's a tautological truth. The people who bail it out are the ones with the money. Which by the right. poor could bail it out, they wouldn't be the poor, they'd be the rich. So the rich are gonna have to bail it all out However, there's a quid pro quo for that. And the quid pro quo is we're going to fix the- Rebuild the, our country from the inside out with that. With, we're going to newly design right. social safety net, tax system. We've learned a lot since we designed them last time. We're going to design very simple, clean ones. Right. And I know just how to do it. We could have the, the, the blender that is the United States economy, we could have on puree in about six months. Uh, but we also, we can go back to the Constitution and the Bill of Rights and what it says is it should be, which is the D.C. model that they had all these all these committees and and like uh, associations and all the lobbyists. It's all just makes a mess. We could just go back to like the basics. It would be so much better and put the make the states all be proud again and take care of themselves and then have the union actually be held together by what was intended by DC, not what it's become. Yeah, I, there's a lot of improvements we could make, a lot of yeah. improvements. I would get rid of the 17th amendment, I think it was. I'd have the, you know, the, the Athenians, 
with their 250 year history of democracy had a lot of instability, just like us. Right. They had one, they had one stable 63 year period. How did they choose their congressmen, so to speak, in that one stable 63 year period? Foot race? No, I'm just kidding. I don't know. I said foot, foot race. race. They race. Uh, might as well, Ben. They chose them at random, like we choose jury. Right. Right. That's it. It's called sortition. And right. it turned out why that works. The great flaw of democracy is corruption because right. private interests figure out what is the, the center of power and they go buy it off. Well, if what you have is a Congress, if, if you had a House of Representatives where people were chosen. That'd be great. I'd like give, that so much better if you got like a lottery ticket and you were like, oh, yeah, it's going to be you. Anyone who goes takes two years, four years off their job, whatever. They, it's good pay. You could have good right. pay. The bad guys wouldn't know who to corrupt. It will all just turn over. You don't need term limits or anything. That'd be great. Yeah, and then the Senate should go back to being the senator should be decided by the states. The original, the, the original system was the people elected the House and the states chose the senators. And so you had the House representing the interests of the people and right. the senators representing the interests of the states. That was really the correct institutional design. Well, I'm glad you're on the current superheroes uh, Justice League. You guys are so funny to me. Someday there's going to be like the best comic book ever. And it's going to be like you, Lynn, General Flynn, Colonel Waldron, Jovan Pulitzer. Um, I, I carry the bags on a good day. I can carry the bag for a guy like Mike Flynn. You can He's fly the plane too. You can fly the plane too. <laughs> also, um, just before I let you go, uh, ever going to see justice for the Clintons? Yeah. As a matter of fact, we have a press release we've been sitting on for about a week. But there's this uh, some kind of strange case has been filed against the with the IRS. Did you know that there are various laws that let citizens go to the government and say, hey, government, you've been cheated out of a billion dollars or two and a half billion dollars in the Clinton and, and because of tax, this and that. And he, we've made your case to you and and we're demanding this gets done and we get a cut. Well, believe it or not, it's not picked up any press, but somebody has filed a case, somebody I know quite well and think very highly of. Is it Joe is D it, and his wife, Victoria? Are they involved? No. Somebody they, did, they tried, they tried hard. They tried. It's somebody, you know, his name's out there. So exciting. They gotta, they gotta be exposed. If we uh, cannot excise that from our world. There's a case in the I, that with the IRS that they have. I think I've looked at the case. It looks to me like they have the God the, willing dead to rights. We got to see it happen. We need justice. We need justice. Oh yeah. Great. Thank you so much, Patrick. I well, hope okay, to see you a, again. What an honor. I'd love to be on your show anytime. Anytime. And I want everyone to know that you are traveling around the country of just Killing it. Everywhere you go and speak, people love you. They are so inspired by listening to you speak. You, you talk in such a way that really inspires people to get out there and do their own thing. Also, I'll put links to The Deep Rig, which is your movie that's amazing and proves the, the cheating without a doubt. Your books, everything. You are an amazing human being and I'm so grateful to know you and to have you here today. Don't stop. <laughs> I won't. I know you like it, but no. you know, that's enough no, for today. I, I loved I loved meeting you several times uh privately and I've enjoyed I'm my gonna show. see you again soon. I'll see you in Colorado, I think. Oh, I hope. Oh yeah. Oh, that's just a week or so. When is that? I know. I can't wait. Uh, the twenty third, Colorado Springs. Okay. See you there. I'll see you there. Thank you so much, Patrick. 
Bye-bye, Mel. Bye-bye.